I invite you to take your Bibles and open with me to the book of Romans, to chapter 8. We'll study together verses 26 and 27. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. This chapter of the Bible, as I mentioned earlier, has been called the most blessed chapter of the scriptures. It's not the least uh, reason that it is so wonderful in the things that it points the Christian to. In verses 18 through 25, the Apostle Paul, as a minister of the gospel, yes, directed our attention to the struggling that every Christian should expect, and that is suffering. And that he pointed us to something so much better, and that is our future hope of glory. That there's a day coming where we will be free from sin, where we will be free from the temptation to sin, and the attacks and pains that have come from it. We'll be free from death, and every aspect of its rule that it presently has over our bodies and against even our souls. And so as we come here again in verses 26 and 27, the Apostle Paul likewise takes up the task of ministry to Christians. And what does he want to teach us and direct us to? Well, he wants to confront the reality of our weakness. You and I are weak in a variety of ways. We're going to study that in the text. But he wants us to know very simply that we are not weak without help, but rather we have the help of the Holy Spirit who pleads for us in prayer continually with God the Father. And so let's read the word of God, give our attention to it, that we might derive help in time of need. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. More to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, is the law of the Lord. And sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, your word is a refreshment to the souls of your people. It's testimony and everlasting witness to your fatherly love for us, your children, the constancy of your care for us. Lord, I pray that this morning as we study your word, that you would remind us very personally that even as we sit and struggle and feel overwhelmed, that, Lord, you're not far away, but that you're present with us, O oh Lord, and that even your ear is bent as the Holy Spirit pleads our names and your grace on our behalf. Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, do you know what it is to be so burdened that you can't pray? 
You try to find words. You try to dig way down to get your hands around your need, your pain, your anxieties, and the things that you struggle with and maybe even are struggling with right now. And you struggle so hard to get a hold of those, those things that are so heavy upon your soul, yet you find yourself in prayer just feeling confused and without words to express yourself to the ears of the God of heaven. Well, friends, I'll tell you this, that is normal in the lives of the children of God. And if you don't think you've experienced it, I promise you, you will. And if you are presently experiencing it, you're experiencing something that the Apostle Paul knew very, very well. That's why he writes of it in this passage of Scripture. And one of the places we see this struggle, this desperate need for prayer without the ability to bring prayer forth meaningfully is in the regular life of every Christian where they turn to a spouse, to a friend, or even sometimes to a pastor and say, can you help me pray? Will you pray for me about this or that thing? This struggle, that struggle, this burden, that burden. That's when we feel this. The deep struggle of heavy things that burden our souls. And if you've ever done that, ask for prayer, whether it's from me or from someone else in the church. I bet you've also experienced this. That I pray, they pray for you and with you. And yes, you're ministered to, especially if you're like me. There is fellowship with the people of God. But have you ever been in that circumstance and thought that was a blessing? But even still, I don't know if my heart has been raised to the eyes and the attention of our Father in heaven. How can my friends in Christ know my pain? How can they experience the burden of my soul. I can't even get to the bottom of them, yet I feel them. Friends, that's what Paul is writing about this morning to help us, to help you where you are right now in your walk before the Lord of glory and to help you in the coming seasons where your weakness will be felt so very personally. Two points I want us to consider this morning. Verses 26, our deep weakness. And then in verse 27, our wonderful help. Our deep weakness, verse 26, and then verse 27, our wonderful help. Just to remind you that as we come to this passage, Paul has been writing since verse 18 because he is concerned with comforting Christians. Let me say this, I'm not saying Paul is concerned that you are a comfortable Christian. Someone who is happy where they are, someone who feels self-sufficient with strong walls around them with everything they could possibly need, but rather the hand of comfort. The sort of comfort that would come from a doctor applying good care in the right season and the right measure for your relief. That's what Paul is concerned with. 
for you as a struggling Christian to be helped so that you can continue on in your life. As I mentioned a moment ago in verses 18 through 25, Paul is concerned with something that I would say every Christian is so aware of, and that is that we suffer. One out of one suffer. Everybody experiences hardship, whether it's physical hardship at the hand of disease, whether it's loneliness, whether it's a struggle with anxiety, whether it is a struggle with specific sins or a struggle with anger, whether it's a struggle with the grief of loss that comes from a lifelong mourning season that you wonder, will it ever have any end? And Paul has said to us, friends, that will not last forever. There's a day coming that's going to end. There's a day coming where Christ will return in glory and the whole of creation as well as you in your sufferings will be renewed where sin will be gone, where his mercy will reign, where you'll be filled with joy and that every depressed and downturned heart will be lifted to the Father in praise where you will not be able to help but smile because the Father is smiling upon you. But here, he's concerned again with this deep issue of the weakness of our hearts And he points not only that we have this weakness as if to say, look, here are all your problems. Here are the things where you don't match up, where you don't measure up. The world will do that for you. But rather he points to our weakness to simply say, there is a helper. There's a friend, an advocate as the Lord Jesus Christ called the Holy Spirit. And it's not only to the Holy Spirit in abstract or in his person But it's to the Holy Spirit in his work, in his work of intercessory prayer. Just a moment ago, we sang about this, didn't we? The wonderful majesty of the reality that the Holy Spirit pleads for us. He prays for us day and night to the ears of God the Father. And that's what Paul wants to direct us to. Verse 26 begins with the words, most likely in your translation, likewise. Or if you're reading another, it may say, in the same way. This continued mindset of Paul's ministry to the church. And he says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. He helps us in our weakness. And so the first thing that I want you to see this morning is what Paul is trying to tell all of us. You have a weakness. Every man in the room doesn't want to believe this is true. Every ounce of the fiber of our masculinity would say, no, I'm strong. I'm strong in myself. I'm strong in my skills, in my labor. I'm strong. We all want to be supermen. Yet the Apostle Paul says, oh, Christian, you're weak. You have a weakness. And to the ladies in the room, likewise, he is saying to you, you have a weakness, a thing that's beyond your control. Women so often manage households very well. Everything is in place. Everything is accounted for. Their life of work is always in place. In my home, if you were to come and look over the shoulder of your pastor, you would recognize this fact. 
my wife is much more well put together as an adult human being than I am. Things are done on time, in correct order, and she's always poking me, saying, hey, why don't you do what you're supposed to do in time? She's strong, but the Apostle Paul would say to us, we have a weakness. A weakness, even as Christians, even as people who have received the grace and the blessing of the blood of Jesus Christ, there is yet in us a limited ability, a thing that we cannot reach, yet something that we desperately need before the throne of grace. And I want you to notice also that whenever Paul expresses this, he doesn't do what sometimes he does. He doesn't go into apologetics. He's not trying to convince you of your weakness. He assumes it because something I'm aware of is that as we go on as Christians, this will not be a hard fact for us to come to grips with. Some of you who are young, you may already know this. Maybe even some of you who have plenty of years behind you, you may know this, but there are others that will still struggle with this, this idea of weakness. Paul simply wants you to know and to receive the word that you have weakness. Notice also that he calls this weakness, not weaknesses. Weakness, not weaknesses. There's not a plurality in view because Paul is going to answer, for, answer the question that we may have, well, what weakness are you talking about, Paul? Are you getting at the fact that I'm weak and can only lift so many boxes of milk for my spouse and transport them into the house? Are you weak in the way in which you don't have everything together? What's, what's going on, Paul? I know that I've got weaknesses. Are you talking about my sins and the struggles that I have? Well, Paul, in the second part of verse 26, he tells you exactly what he means. He defines his term. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. He narrows it down. Where is your weakness? It's before the throne of God. That's where your insufficiency is found. That's where you feel it and you see it. It's before the Lord in prayer. It's not that you don't have a sense of what prayer is or that you're unaccomplished in the work of prayer, the spiritual discipline. Paul says it's in the substance of prayer. He says that you and me struggle to know what we ought to pray for. The substance of what we should be always giving ourselves to before the Lord in prayer. And you may say, well, pastor, that's good. I understand that. But, you know, I live a life and I don't always pray. I mean, I should pray more. And I'll say, friend, you're just like me. You'll say, well, I live a life. I'm not just praying every day, all day, like a monk locked in a cloister. There's something different in my life. And I have struggles because I go to work. I live a regular and average life. I even struggle with very specific sins and I'm weak against them. Why does Paul only talk about the spiritual help in my weakness of prayer? Well, I want to say to you, friend, that yes, he's very specific about your weakness in prayer. Because prayer is the response of a soul 
overwhelmed by its own weaknesses before God. Let me say that one more time. Prayer is the response of a soul that is overwhelmed by its own weaknesses before God. Why do we pray? Because we are desperate in our weaknesses. We pray because we can't do it. We pray because we can't help ourselves. We pray because we have come to the end of ourselves. We've dug to the bottom of a well, and at the very bottom, it's dry. We've gone out the window and down the rope, all the way to the end of the rope to find out the rope isn't long enough and we can't reach the bottom. And we're hanging on and our grip is failing. We pray out of a desperate sense of our weaknesses. You see, this is much broader. There is the simple assumption that every single Christian We'll pray because every single Christian is a human and every single human has limits and weaknesses. Yet Paul says, yes, those weaknesses produce prayer, but your prayer life, that thing, that time, that place where you come before the Lord for help, even in that, you have failing weakness even knowing what to say or how to say it. And so we come back to this very regular feeling that Christians have whenever they enter into prayer, very honestly and very desperately, we try to pray, but no words come. You ever been there? You ever been on your knees? Things are not going well. And you feel the burden and your eyes are filled with tears and you try to pray but you can't. There's just nothing that you can say and so what do you do? You sit still under the wing of God like chicks drawn near to a hen. You want defense from the flaming darts and from the hailstorm and from the rain and the wind. And you just simply want to be near him and quiet. And you haven't words, yet you have needs. And you feel the struggle, even still, and possible spiritual frustration of feeling and needing that you cannot then speak and bring to bear before the ears and the eyes of the Lord of glory. I've experienced that. That is a constant experience of Christian people. And the Apostle Paul is touching exactly on that. You don't know what to pray. You're weak. You feel it, but words cannot suffice. Your soul groans. It groans under the weight. You may say, well, why is this? Why do I experience it like this? I want to suggest to you that there are two reasons, two sources, if you will. The first of them is lack of understanding our own weakness 
or a lack of understanding of our own pain or a lack of understanding of our own needs. Matthew 20, 22 speaks of this. You've got the two sons of thunder requesting of Jesus what their mother encourages them to do. Oh, Lord, let us sit on your left and on your right hand in glory. They ask him that. Now, any Christian hearing this request of these two sons, they simply can't help but realize that there was a time where the Lord was raised up in glory and there was a man on his left and there was a man on his right nailed to crosses. What does Jesus say? Can you drink the cup that I will drink? You don't know what you're asking. And so very often you and I are confronted with this, aren't we? We ask the Lord of things and for things that just frankly are not what we have any idea that we're asking for. You ask him, Lord, give me this job, give me that job, give me this spouse, give me that spouse, give me this wealth, give me this house, give me this place. I know what I want, what I need, the needs of my soul, or even sometimes you ask, Lord, remove this thorn from my flesh, and the Lord gives you an answer that is a resounding no. I know it's not the best for you. The good providences you would desire and the heavy providences you would love to be free of. It is better for you to be right where you are in the grip of his providential control. Why do we make requests like that? We just don't know what's best for ourselves. Sometimes we haven't gotten our heads around our weakness or our pain even. I can illustrate this very simply. Do you feel pain? Have you ever felt any pain That was in your body, maybe in your mind and heart, and you've said enough is enough, you take up the phone and you call a physician, a doctor. I need an appointment. I've got a problem. Well, what is your problem? I've got lots of them. Can I come in for help? And the doctor comes and says, well, how do you feel? And they ask you lots of diagnostic questions. They look in your throat, they shine lights all over you, and Maybe strike your knee with a hammer and all sorts of different things. And then they prescribe you what you need. You had no idea you needed this. You had no idea that medicine was appropriate. You didn't know what you needed. And so much so, and in a very similar fashion, are our hearts before the Lord. We don't know what to ask for. And friends, I'll say, even if we were to ask, we would ask for less than he intends to give. That's the first thing. We often don't understand our own weakness, pain, and needs. And then secondly, we lack the knowledge of God's will. We lack the knowledge of God's will. A verse of scripture that points us to this, James 4, 3. If we ask anything according to the will of God, he is pleased to give it to us. Again, we go back to some of those same things. Lord, please remove from me this pain, this thorn in the flesh. Lord, please give me this or give me that or do this or that for me. Put me in this place or that place. Lord, I want to lead a multitude of men. Lord, make me influential amongst people. Lord, do this stuff for me. Lord, it would be the best thing. And God just simply says no because his will is different. His will is better. His will is more gracious. It's more wonderful. I can illustrate this and give you a story even from my own life. I entered university as a pre-medical student. I wanted to be a doctor. 
And if someone were to ask, why do you want to be a doctor? I would have given you, well, probably a two-part answer. I would have generally said, I want to help people. And then the second part of the answer was so much more self-serving, and it was really honest. I really want the financial income that doctors make, the freedom that comes from money. Well, that's shallow, and you say, Pastor, how in the world? How in the world? Well, it was an honest answer, wasn't it? In God's providence, even with good grades and with a trajectory to go and to finish that, he called me to ministry, and he said, oh, no, no, no. I want you to be a different kind of physician. Oh, no. (laughs) You're not going to have fancy cars and extraordinary homes. You're not going to live on your own terms. You're going to live on my terms. You're going to be a man from my ends, my glory. I'll put you wherever I want you to be. I didn't know God's will. And I'll say to you very simply, who can know the will of the Lord outside of his word? You want specificity about things. Where to go, yes or no, for this or that answer. You don't know it. And he hasn't revealed it. You have 66 books that tell us all the principles of God's will. So many commands of God's will. Those are plain and clear, but the minutia of his plan for you. You don't know, and so you ask for so much less. I was asking for an office building to get sneezed on by people. To be exposed to all sorts of illnesses and sadnesses and all of that sort of thing. Yet he gave me something so much more gracious. Likewise he does to all of his children. The apostles simply wanted to catch more fish. And Jesus said, I'll give you fish. But they're going to walk on two legs and be way more difficult. And you'll catch plenty of them. We do this. We struggle to pray. We lose the words for prayer. And it's a heavy and a difficult and a real, real struggle in our weakness. And Paul wants us to know, to comfort us, that when we're in this place and in every place between, you and I are not alone. We have the help of the Holy Spirit at all times. And he pleads with God for you and for me. He prays better when we can't pray at all. And he takes those things for which we don't have words. And he lifts them to the Father in groanings that are too deep for expression. He's not like the pastor that yes, he's there. But still, you're unsure if the Lord knows. The friend who is faithful and true with an arm around you, yet your heart still aches. You could be assured that the one who indwells you, who is himself God, always lifts your needs and your burdens before the Father without fail and with magnificent effect and with wonderful power. He prays for us. He pleads for us and intercedes. We go on and in verse 27 we learn about our wonderful help. Our wonderful help. Because yes, we've talked about the work of the Spirit. That yes, he, he takes these things that we can't give voice to. Yes, he lifts it to the Father. All of that. It's wonderful to know that he prays and he's constant. 
that we're never alone in our weakness, we're never without help. We are always held by God before his throne. And you may ask the question, well, how is this the case? What's the quality of this? Give me some more. Paul does. Verse 27, he says, he who searches hearts. That's how he starts. And he who searches hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. He's pointing us to this magnificent reality. I'm not going to read all of these to you. If you're a note taker, take your pencil. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. You can read that. Jeremiah 11, 20. Luke 16, 15. 1 Thessalonians 2, 4. This wonderful idea in all of these places and so much more of the Bible, you are being told that God knows you at your very depth. He knows all the hairs on your head or on your chin. He knows everything about you. Nothing is kept from his eyes. He knows you in the most deep and personal, intimate measure. Likewise, he knows the mind of the Holy Spirit. If you have this simple awareness that God knows you at the very depth of your being where the protons and neutrons and electrons make you up, He likewise knows the mind of the Spirit and knows very specifically the one who indwells you. There is not an ounce of separation between the Spirit and the Father. They are distinguishable yet inseparable, the persons of the Trinity. He knows him deeply and abidingly. The word there in the perfect tense for you Greek readers. It is exhaustive and absolute the way the Father knows the mind of the Spirit. Nothing's withheld. Nothing is tucked back behind any sort of dividing curtain or selfish cloister. And he tells us how this is. Well, it is because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, for us. The word saints there in English, in its original, just means the holy ones, the ones called to be holy. Children of God, Christians, you can use it interchangeably because the Spirit intercedes, he prays for, he pleads for us according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit knows what the Lord wants for you and for me. He knows our struggle, our striving, and our weaknesses. And he says, Lord... Give them what you intend. Lord, this is the season for your best in the midst of this weakness or that weakness. Lord, walk with them through this season of chemo. Heal their body and direct their soul to your throne. Lord, go slowly in the healing. Lord, go slowly even as they may lose this battle. So that they'll be drawn more near to you. Lord, strip away every false security, all of the things that we'd want to grab hold to. Strip it all away, Lord. Give them what is best for their soul that they might be with you. Lift their hearts to yourself and always do good. They struggle to speak, but this is what's on them, O Lord. He pleads with us that the Lord's richest blessings be poured out on Christians. How is that the case? It's because his prayers are not like ours. The Holy Spirit doesn't have the problem of perspective. 
He knows every single point in our weakness, our struggle, our sufferings, and all the things that go along with it. And he does not pray weak prayers that stumble around in the darkness with vague guesses of what the Lord intends. He doesn't ask wrongly. His prayers are always effective because he always pleads that the Lord give us what he intends, the things that are best for us. And with this in view, friends, you and I, we can simply have the assurance of the Apostle Paul. Verse 5, or sorry, chapter 5, verse 14 of 1 John. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And where does this come and where does this meet you? This sort of confidence that the Lord hears and the Lord answers. Have you ever prayed and wondered, did it just bounce off the ceiling? Have you ever prayed and doubted in your heart that the Lord will actually answer your prayer? Have you ever prayed and not received what you prayed for, yet you received something else, the very opposite to what you prayed? Well, here's the assurance, Christian. You have received what the Lord has appointed for you. And you are receiving specifically what the Holy Spirit has requested on your behalf. All things that come to pass are according to the will of the Lord. Nothing that occurs is apart from his holy hand. There are no accidents in your life. Everything is good and a blessing for the Christian the light providences and the heavy providences all together under his will for you. The Lord bless you and keep you, Christian. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you hear the Holy Spirit that he prays better than we do and that you are always giving us comfort. Lord, I do pray for those who are struggling, who are suffering, who feel the weight of their weakness. Lord, I pray that this morning through the hearing of your word, you would minister to all of us who are just like that. Oh Lord, that we would not take our eyes off of you, but that Lord, we would feel your warm embrace and know the constant wonderful truth that you love us in your son Jesus Christ. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.